Hi, this is Sharice Kenyon, and you're listening to the Beauty Me podcast, all about beauty beyond the BS. This episode is a conversation I've been wanting to have for a while. Back in September 2022, I invited Sydney-based beauty marketing journalist Lily Twelfthree of Bareface Media onto the show because I was so inspired by the content that she produces around trends in beauty specifically. On the episode, which of course I'll share in the show notes for you, we talked about everything from trends to why blocking people is good for your health. Since then, Lily has seen many more millions of views and I just think her videos are brilliant for starting conversations. I don't think she's someone that says she knows everything. It's more like she gets so intrigued by what's happening in beauty and spending in general, I feel like consumer trends in general. She creates videos that often incite a response and one such video that definitely did that for me was a video that she created entitled, Why Did Beauty YouTube Die? Have you completely stopped watching Beauty YouTube after being obsessed with it years ago? Well, this is a breakdown on why Beauty YouTube died. She got so many views on this one, and I think it's because so many of us were trying to nail down this feeling that we'd had about Beauty YouTube for a while, and Lily kind of encapsulated it in this video. Again, I'll definitely share a link to that for you in the show notes so you can see for yourself I just felt that it would be a really good idea to have her back on the show to break down that discussion. We often chat in the DMs. I think she is a great conversationalist. So in this episode, we initially talk about what made Beauty YouTube so popular when it was at its peak. We also discuss why many of us have fallen out of love with watching Beauty YouTube. But at the same time, we are seeing more beauty creators and makeup artists moving to the platform. I think many people in makeup, whether it's their job or their hobby, have kind of fallen out of love with Instagram in more more so than YouTube because I just think Instagram made a lot of promises for creators and so many people are just becoming disheartened with their content performance on Instagram. We also discuss authenticity and why influencing isn't quite dead. And also we wonder whether brands can have political or personal opinions. Before we get into it, make sure you follow Lily's amazing content over on TikTok. You can find her at Barefaced Media. And I really do think you'll gain so much from this conversation. Lily, just a little bit of background. The reason I wanted to get you back on today is because you made this video for TikTok and you called it, was it the death of beauty YouTube? And I was like, oh my God, um, someone's kind of encapsulating what I've kind of been noticing. And in your video, you talk about things such as authenticity, which I think is a word that's been used so much. But I wanted to have you on today to really break down what you were saying. And even in the weeks since we've been talking about it, I've said, but hey, also, don't you think there's like a weird resurgence on beauty YouTube? So today is very much a discussion about beauty YouTube. And obviously, we're going to end up talking about Instagram and TikTok. I really want to see where you think they fit into the landscape of beauty. So first of all, 
let's talk about what made beauty YouTube good when it was good. And I think you said the heyday was maybe 2016 to 2018. To me, that's when it felt like it was at its peak, but it definitely existed long before then. Cause by 2016, 2018, you know, you had Tati and all the big names that had already been on the platform about, you know, 10 ish years. So they had these really, really loyal followings. And I feel like that's when we really saw that kind of beauty community that everyone talks about, um, kind of at its at its peak and have have its most power. So do you think that YouTube even started that whole phrase of the beauty community? I think so for sure. It definitely existed that that type of relationship existed elsewhere, but I feel like YouTube potentially being video, so it was really interpersonal, but then also the size of the followings that these people got and also their relationships with each other. So it was kind of this little hub. It wasn't, no one really existed singularly within this. It was all, you know, there was collabs. Everyone was appearing on each other's channels. It felt like this big kind of crossover um, constantly. And you were along for the, the bigger the bigger journey. And the beauty community was much bigger than a singular creator. Even if you followed one creator more than the other, you still knew about what was going on with their friendships in that circle. Um, let's talk about that a little bit more because I loved how in your video you, I never thought of those kind of so-and-so appearing with so-and-so or doing each other's makeup. I never really thought of it as an effort for them to be seen because I just thought, oh, they're good. Like the big names, I just felt like they're good on YouTube. They've got their niche. But in your video, you said that was a way for them to ensure they were seen more. Can you just elaborate on that and just talk about YouTube isn't really the best for being discovered. I think that's what you're saying. Discovery on YouTube, it's this weird thing where it was so poor, but that's what gave, like, it was so hard to find a new creator, which is what, again, fed into that community part. Because to be discovered by a new audience, you'd often have people within the beauty community going on other people's channels, engaging with their audiences and kind of bringing them back over. So it was very human and less algorithmic and very... You you were along for the again for the for the journey of it rather than just discovering them on your own, which we've now got with TikTok, which has got other benefits, but um, is kind of again what deepened those relationships because it went beyond just the one person you were following. You were now watching who you were under the impression of was their friend. Do you feel that it's also part of the allure of it? Is like you said, feeling part of that industry, but also all the different dramas, do you feel that also kind of gave, gave a weird sense of belonging, like kind of people picking tribes perhaps? Oh, completely. I think that the beauty drama, um, again, we've seen a small resurgence, well, not small, a resurgence of that kind of type with the Michaela Mascara saga this week. I don't think it's necessarily gone anywhere. But again, people, because there were so few um, people at that scale, influencers at that scale, you knew so much about each of them. So you could have those opinions about whether you thought they were trusting, whether you thought they were right, whether you thought they were lying. Because again, it was so personal because you knew so much about them because you were coming back once or twice a week for 20 something minutes. And it felt like you knew everything about this person. So whenever there was this drama, it was very segregating and that just fueled 
the uh, the community more because then you would have people discussing that on other places, even Reddit. And it just, again, anything, anything like that blew it out of proportion. It was huge. It's funny that because you mentioned two words like personal and what was the other one? Damn it. There were two words that made me instantly think, I know you're talking about YouTube, but it made me think of TikTok. That was it, opinions and personal because I feel that TikTok is like YouTube, but highly exaggerated. Like people instantly can pick sides in an instant. They can just come for someone in an instant. I feel that YouTube, like you said, they've built a following. They've kind of taken them along with them. But TikTok is almost like a concentrated version. Um, And you mentioned there, Michaela. I mean, by the way, just a little segue, because this is just a chat. She hasn't addressed it yet, and she's back. I <laughs> she's know. Posting, like, getting her I money. went through and watched all the new videos and was, like, waiting for her to be, like, there was one caption which was along the lines of, we all know why we're here, and I was, like, waiting for her to address it. I just didn't. She, didn't. That, but that's, I'm just, like, you are either really smart or... You've been told you cannot speak. So you're just trying to find a way past this. Um, because in the comments, someone was like, are we going to talk about the elephant in the room? And she's like, in, she replied, yeah, talk about elephants in the next video. And the next video is just her continuation of the makeup. I'm like, this is so cheeky. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't think she owes anybody an anything, right? We just all want to know. I think that's it. And like you said, it's about opinions and personal. And my opinion is that you should be honest. And my opinion early on was that, oh, Michaela always wears lashes. Of course, she's popped one on. I didn't even click. Oh, that's a problem because it's meant to be an ad. And some people would really like to be notified of the, you know, every little detail. It didn't even bother me initially, but... Like you said, it is opinions and it's personal. So I think you can instantly just get upset. I think YouTube was more of a, maybe that's not a good thing. I felt people were more together on YouTube in like supporting someone, but at the same time, they could probably take someone down. TikTok feels like anybody can get involved. They don't have to be invested. (laughs) For that reason though, I think again, TikTok's blown up because the discovery is so good and we're constantly being introduced to new people and new opinions and everything like that. But then the negative side of that is that because everything is so new, we are quicker to hold people to judgment. We are quicker to to jump the gun rather than with YouTube because there was fewer and discovery was poor and that also had its negatives. We had more to go off. We had more more to wager. We knew more about their personality. We could in, you know, there was still the apology, the, the infamous apology videos, but there was still space, more space, it feels like, for people to to make errors because they were more human because we knew them better rather than now a TikToker, someone that's, they're, they're one of millions that we're seeing within a week because they're just another face, just another number rather than the influences on YouTube Again, because not only because their following was larger, but we saw more of them. There was, you know, people made comebacks constantly and people were cancelled. But, you know, we have Jeffree Star and Shane Dawson are somehow still around. Like, because we we, we allowed that. We allowed people to be more human because we knew them better, I suppose. It's interesting, though, because, again, 
I think I, I posted a TikTok and it was about her, um, Gabriella Wilson, the singer. And somebody said, oh, I really used to like her, but then she worked with Chris Brown, so I can't forgive her. And it was just literally so quick. And I just feel like, like you've said, again, with YouTube, you take people along with you. So if and when you make a mistake in their eyes, then you do one of your apology videos and it's like the caption will be, it's time to talk or I made a mistake. And people will go to watch it and they are invested. And you could do a 20-minute video. And again, if you watch a 20-minute video, it means you're willing to listen to the explanation or apology or fake apology. Um, I just think it's really making me see how TikTok is just so much more cutthroat and people bringing up stuff that happened four years ago. But then Jeffree Star's appearing on my For You page. I'm just like, no, thank you. Like, he has been racist. He's made comments about the trans community. He's made comments about the gay community. He he just talks about everybody with a very horrible tone. But yet he's on my For You page. He's basically using this Michaela situation, which for anyone that's listening and doesn't know the Michaela situation, just really quickly... Michaela's got over 14 million followers on TikTok. One day she's like, I'm going to try this mascara. And she puts it on and she literally, she's like, wow, instant. And she said, I'm going to show you. So she applies one coat and we see, okay, it looks like a regular mascara. Then she's like, I'm going to apply another one. And then we cut to a side view and like, she's got all this lash on the outer edges. It's like intense. And everybody's like, I know a fake lash when I see it. In fact, that's an Ardell Demi Wispy lash. There's been just lots of stories about Michaela. So that's what we're talking about. And Jeffree Star is quite a toxic beauty personality who is kind of using Michaela's dishonesty to kind of say, well, at least I'm honest. And he's kind of making a comeback. So that's just a little quick segue for anyone that doesn't know that story. But um, yeah, what do you think about forgiveness then on YouTube compared to TikTok? I... It's interesting that we talk about Jeffrey in particular because I made a video on this and in my first edit I didn't make it clear enough that I was talking, attempting to talk pragmatically about the fact why he's using Michaela to come back and why that makes sense for him as opposed to being supportive of him. I just meant more that Jeffrey and again, oh, he's he's really done it better than the, the rest of the kind of YouTube types, but was able to build such a big personal brand, and I mean literal brand, like Jeffree Star Cosmetics, that he's now exempt from all of, not all, actually very, very close to all of the politeness and weird things that influencers have to do in respect to each other and respect to brands in order to make money, in order to make a career, because he can say essentially whatever he wants, call anyone out because he's got the backing of his own brand that has been around for long enough now that even if you don't like him, you've got some people being like, well, I still enjoy the formula, um, you know, that comes back again to the, the Chris Brown reference of if you think he's horrible, can you listen to his music, which we can discuss later. But he Jeffrey is now exempt from so much of the general etiquette that he can just like he tagged Michaela in his reaction video calling her out and people are drawn to that because it comes across as honesty but then it's also can be quite 
mean feels too light, but it's a very, very, he is a funny character, but then bringing it broad, more broadly back to YouTube, um, there was definitely, I think, more forgiveness or more even just hearing people out. Um, even when they did get cancelled, it was a really big deal, but they would often come back. Like, I mean, Logan Paul, which is outside beauty, of course, but that is one of the most incredibly huge comeback stories of all time. But again, because we allowed him to be humanised because he was across so many platforms. We were consuming so much of him. We were interacting with him as him as a bigger personality rather than TikTok. Again, so many faces on your For You page, so many – it's a completely different landscape. And that's, again, why you see all of these TikTokers launching beauty brands now and having – less success as what they traditionally have in a more in like a YouTube audience because there isn't that same connection. A follow doesn't translate as much. You know, you could have X hundred thousand followers on TikTok, but you know, 95% of your viewers are still coming from your for you page. So it's a balance of different audience types, really. I think they represent completely different things and that's shifted the landscape completely. Do you know any of those? I know I know. I read this stat that was about 100,000 TikTok followers is worth, what, 10,000 YouTube? Or was it the other way? Like, basically, YouTube is a... If you've got someone following you on YouTube, they are, like, gold. <laughs> I think that's why so many YouTubers start every episode and end every video with, thank you. <laughs> they're, very, they're always so grateful for their audience. But I also think... Again, it's that more like you go along for the ride. Like there's certain people I follow on YouTube that's nothing to do with beauty. Like mm -hmm. for some reason, I follow lots of vegan creators that just make me think, oh, I want to eat more vegetables. Not, I don't want to be vegan, but their manner and how, you know, and how they shoot things and the color. I'm like, yeah, I want to see you do a grocery shop. <laughs> but TikTok, would I do that? Probably not because TikTok is more like, I need to grab your attention really quickly. So it's going to be lots of quick edits and it's going to be some loud music and it's just a different vibe. And they both have so much purpose and so much power. And like, we can't downplay obviously TikTok's influence. It's huge, but then it makes a lot of sense when you go and look at, like I follow a lot of like life's like early to mid twenties, uh, lifestyle YouTubers and um, like Moya Mawini, I want to pronounce that right. She's a vlogger, for example. She's got like 500, 600K on YouTube. And like the deals she's getting, the brands that she's getting, she's working on this full time versus someone, you know, it's a, still a huge following on TikTok, but they just are completely different metrics, um, which is then makes it really confusing in a marketing conversation when, you know, talking about influencers and their value and um, things like that and what they can bring to a campaign because how do you, how do you even, yeah, they're, they're completely different. And then you start to look at engagement. So if you're getting X amount of, you've got X amount of followers on YouTube and you're getting X amount of views, but that could be coming from the discovery page. But once someone's following you on YouTube, you're much more likely to um, be on their discovery page rather than TikTok's not the same. So it's just like this, I don't even know, this other. They're two different beasts basically, aren't they? Completely. But then in the sense of beauty, they fuel the same sense of community, I feel. 
like it's it's different but it's still very similar people like all the comments on that video I had about beauty YouTube were like oh my gosh I've been thinking about this forever or you know hundreds and hundreds of people talking about how they miss that sense of community but they found part of that on TikTok so it's still prevalent it still exists it just looks very very different well that's what we're going to get into next I think we were just because we were planning this episode and then I was like I noticed people like Katie Jane Hughes, you know, 800,000 plus on Instagram. She'd already had YouTube, but wasn't really diving into it. And now she's like diving into it with this uncut um, series because obviously Instagram has been letting creators down for a while. I think Instagram's really confused. Then there's other people like Aoife Cullen. I've had both of these makeup artists on the show. Aoife's now doing YouTube and she started from zero, you know, for someone that's got a big following on Instagram and TikTok you know, 14 million views on one video where she was just applying Glossier lip balm. She had like, she was just putting lip balm on. She didn't plan anything. She's doing YouTube. And I'm just like, okay, we've got these experts. Obviously, there's already always been experts on YouTube, like Lisa Eldridge. She's got her own makeup line and a YouTube. She's so prevalent on there. But to see Katie and Aoife moving across, and also I'm seeing more people that, are on Instagram, they've been making content for years, but they're, let's say they're in the less than 5k followers. I'm seeing so many of them going to YouTube thinking, okay, I'm going to share my voice more here because I don't feel I'm being seen. I, I feel like Instagram has put, become redundant for a smaller creator like me. And that just really got me thinking. I'm like, okay, so it's the end of, we can't call this episode the end of beauty YouTube, but how how about we call it the end of beauty, beauty YouTube as we know it? Because with these names coming across, I mean, is YouTube a more fair, is it a more fair playground? Like I feel that Instagram did that whole, we're leaning into video, we're leaning into supporting creators. And then creators will be like, I made this video, it took me how many hours and I've got, 600 views. So do you think YouTube could gain from people just thinking, I've got more to gain now? And I'm also kind of ensuring my current Instagram audience, just in case Instagram really drops, they're kind of going to YouTube to secure their audience. But obviously it's taking them more time. They're making more content. But do you think that's because it offers a more even playing field? So many good questions. So much to discuss. Um, I I can only Sorry, speak subjectively. <laughs> I can only speak subjectively to how I use the platforms. But to me, Instagram is becoming like a Google. It's becoming like a search engine. I go there to find like if I'm looking at a brand, I'm never going to your website. I'm going to your Instagram. But it's really bad in the way of discovery, which TikTok's really good at. But then TikTok is really bad at building loyalty, but um, YouTube's good at that. So it be- I think it becomes this weird puzzle of, again, this is just so much work. More platforms you're on, it's exhausting. I can, I've wanted to be on YouTube for quite some time. I can barely do TikTok well. But, like, if you can use them for what they're each really good at and to build, again, in case one totally sinks – and utilize, again, their strengths and their weaknesses to work in unison and have this community that exists outside a platform. Like they exist for you wherever you are. I think that's ideal, of course. Um, what YouTube's really good at, again, because it's just video, something that Instagram hilariously supposedly attempted to do and just, yeah, I don't know. I 
think reels is just for people that can't that think tiktoks is tiktok is the devil i only people i know that are scrolling on on reels are people that are like so anti tiktok <laughs> but um but yeah it's really good for a search engine so it, it, if you don't exist on instagram do you exist at all it's it's because it's just so second nature now but then youtube is this really great vessel and what you were talking about um, you know, the second wave or second wave, probably like the hundredth wave, but the latest wave of really being that interpersonal relationship because it does video and it does video well. Um, so yeah, I've seen so many TikTok creators also outside beauty drag, trying to drag people over to their YouTube. And I, you know, hope to follow suit in coming months, but Again, you, I don't think we'll, unless YouTube revolutionizes itself, I can't see it changing its algorithms that much. So you probably couldn't rely on it for discoverability. You probably couldn't ever use YouTube unless you blow up or unless you, you know, are in the 1% that just totally the algorithm loves you. Um, it would be really hard to rely on YouTube for discoverability, but the same way TikTok's really hard to rely on for um, viewer loyalty. So if you could use them in tandem, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's the way that we're seeing people move. So you'd have to take it really, really seriously then, because I think like the people I've mentioned, they've already got a following. So they have a chance of bringing people with them to YouTube without relying on discoverability. But if you wanted to start YouTube today without an Instagram or TikTok, it would just be, do you think it would just be incredibly difficult in beauty? I think it would be so hard just because, like, again, as someone that watches so much YouTube, the, the amount of times that I'm stumbling across a new creator and sticking around and watching them consistently is few and far between. If I'm watching a new creator, it's because I've discovered them on TikTok. Um, and again, I'm, I can't speak for everyone on YouTube, but I imagine that I'm within the majority of just, that's not how the platform is built. They are like a Netflix. You have the things that you like and they know what you like. So they're just going to give you more of what you already like. Um, so I think it would be incredibly, incredibly hard, but it obviously can, can, can be done. Let's talk about the divide between, cause for me personally, I have, I don't even want to get into de-influencing, by the way. That is, everyone's been talking about that this week. And I think there's someone like you that can break down what it actually means. But I think there's a load of influencers that are like, come and de-influence with me. And they're just, I'm just like, you're still doing the same thing. So it's still promoting products to somebody because you are supposedly giving your honest opinion on these products that, you actually have been using for a while. So that's a whole other, I find that interesting, but I really wanted to talk about influencers slash experts. Do you think it's time? Because I know Meta was really trying to push that. I went to one of their webinars and they were just like, they didn't want to even say the word influencer anymore. They were referring to influencers as creators, which I think people in the, have been saying that for a while anyway, but they're saying it's time for experts to really get on board with video and creating because there's been a turn. I think the pandemic, we were looking for comfort in community. We were watching lives. We were discovering people that might not be experts, but they 
had amazing skin. So you might want to listen to what they said about skin, even though they're not a dermatologist or they might be amazing at makeup and you started to experiment more. And now that more and more of us are going back to our version of normal, because I think everyone's is different, by the way. Um, many of us are like, no, no, I want to go and see a dermatologist now. And no, I want to I want to follow a dermatologist on TikTok. I don't want to follow that girl with amazing skin anymore. I need to know the details. Do you think that's that's something that is going to be extensive? Or do you think that influencers are absolutely not going anywhere? I think the concept of an expert is really interesting because I feel like you could talk about an expert and a non-expert and the only difference be their level of PR. Like if we look at Hiram, who blew up as a supposed skin expert, and the fact that he has no dermatological background and then launched a skincare brand and everyone was like, hang on, you've actually, you know, you might know a lot about formulas and we trust your opinion, but now we don't trust your opinion because you've got so much at stake with this brand. And now we don't trust you as a founder either because you're not actually a derma, derma, uh, dermatologist. So I think definitely experts makes a lot of sense. Like when we look at, again, beauty brands that have launched in the last few years that have done well, I recently did a video on like makeup by Mario and the fact that his brand has done really well, as opposed to some of the other, you know, influencers or uh, content creators or um, whatever word you would like. And um, Rachel Strugatz was one of my favorite journalists wrote a piece about um, the rise of experts launching brands and how beauty brands founded by experts is like the new um, influencer founders. And she reckons that that is going in that direction too. So I think it definitely has a place and people want to be really informed. And I think people are clever now and they're critical and they want to listen to people that know what the fuck they're talking about. But in saying that, I feel like it could be quite easy to manipulate yourself into being perceived as an expert when in fact, um, you know, what, what does that mean? Because there's no black and white. There's no credentials as to what is an expert and what isn't an expert. So maybe it's just a self positioning activity. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can understand that. I can understand wanting to gravitate towards more people that are better informed and, you know, have some kind of, you know, background, but again, unless you're listing your credentials in your bio, which only a few dermatologists are really doing. Um, I don't, I can't imagine like there's no way for that to be policed. So I think experts versus influencers, even if there are more experts, we will still see them as influencers because that's what we know. What do you think? Well, before I get into that, I just wanted to ask you, but what do you think then about sharing more? Because there's also that conversation. People follow you for for that thing that you do, that your field of expertise. Or do people follow you because they really they actually want to see what your house looks like and they want to see how you shop and they want to see your sleep routine and they want to see what you do at the gym and they want to see your partner and your kid and your dog. Like what do you think? Is it is it more authentic to share more or just stick with what your your niche is or your lane? I think it depends what you're trying to create. Like if you're, if, you know, this is the a conversation that people had a lot when Emma Chamberlain blew up about the difference between a, a personality and um, I can't think of another word, but like 
as opposed to like, let's say a content creator, like a personality, I think it would be more authentic for Emma to show me her every day, show me her day to day. I'm I'm going to watch her vlogs, but if you're a dermatologist, I don't think you owe me your, your life or your morning routine. In fact, I don't care because I'm following you for the reason of your expertise in skin. And I think if they start doing either one or the other. Like if I start having Emma Chamberlain, I mean, she does every now and then, but tell me about what to put on my skin like that. I interpret that a lot differently to a dermatologist the same way. I'm good. I'm more entertained by an Emma Chamberlain vlog as I am a dermatologist vlog. Um, I think sharing more only makes sense if you're capitalizing off your personality and you're a celebrity rather than if you're, doing any other type of content, like particularly like us, like, you know, beauty journalism type stuff, like research-based stuff, like I don't think that would engage the same audience. So then you're attracting two different types of people, which is then conflicting. And then you're stuck in the middle of what am I meant to be creating? I think sticking to your niche is a funny topic because it's like, it makes so much sense, but then you don't want to just talk about one thing. Like I recently had a video about core core blow up, which was great and I loved it. But now I have so many people requesting more core core videos when in fact I just break down the trend. I'm not a core core channel. So how niche do you want to be? I don't know. I think you need some breathing room and creativity, but um, niches, niches are a very, very funny topic. Um, definitely relevant, but I, yeah, I don't think everyone owes you, owes, owes more. No, I, for me, it's really about what do you want to do? Honestly, you asked me earlier about what I thought, but I maybe I'm naive, but I honestly think if you do the things that you want to do, right, you're already ticking a box for yourself. You made this video for TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, okay, or you write something, you do it for yourself, okay? I honestly feel it comes from you. And then anyone else who likes it, that's a bonus. Like anytime someone says thank you to me, I'm like, cool. That is so, the fact that I made something for me, I put some time into something for me and that you like it, that's great. But I think the minute, and I do think I may, again, maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm too narrow on this. I just feel that I can see it when someone is trying to do everything. I go to their feed and I'm like, whoa, it's, it's beauty, it's food, it's hair, it's clothing. And I'm like, like you said, I think, and it's not fair, but what you said, I think you have to be a celebrity to give me everything because perhaps I'll be nosy about all those things. But someone that I follow because they do great beauty content, but then the week after I see they're doing a open up, opening up about depression video. And then the week after that, they're doing a baking video. And the week after that, I'm not saying you can't be all those things. What I'm saying is don't be surprised if people don't just jump on everything because just as you said, nobody owes anybody everything. Follow you, No followers owe you loyalty. They, they don't. They can be like, oh, she stopped doing beauty like three weeks ago. I think I'm going to tick unfollow today because it's, it's easy. Um, again, with YouTube though, 
you might not hit that unfollow so quickly because you could have been following that person for years and you might be thinking, oh, well, I know her tone. I know what she likes. So maybe she'll go back to that stuff. So I just feel, again, maybe I'm old fashioned. I just think if more people did what they really wanted to do, and I don't think everyone does what they really want to do because they think it might not work. I think if you do what you want to do and wait and see how that goes. I think on that, I think then where it becomes tricky is when you've got like, we've spoken about this, so much you want to do that I have a content list of ideas that goes down to my knees. Like it, I, I have ideas coming out of my brain. So then when you've got so many things that you want to do personally and you do want to grow a thing and you do want to like, you know, really put out your best work and you've got options and then it becomes the discussion of like, okay, so which one should I pick? Which one would people be more interested in? And you can think beyond yourself. I think you definitely have to serve yourself first. And I completely agree there. If you don't care and you're not interested, you're wasting. First of all, you can tell your video will be so boring, but also like you, you're not, you're not in on it. And, you know, I completely agree. But then I think the next level on top of that is then when you start to pick what you are going to do, suppose that like, you know, someone does love beauty and food and home and all of these things um, and they are showing, they are doing it for themselves and they are showing up for themselves, but they still don't know which one to niche down. I think that's when it becomes tricky. Um, or when I'm trying to figure, pick a video topic. And again, so many, I'm like, which one are other people interested in? Um, that's where I think it can get really blurry and tricky. Do you think it would make sense? Cause one thing I've seen more recently is people starting extra channels. So even on YouTube, they might have a lifestyle channel, a beauty channel, and a separate channel just for shorts. And then on TikTok, somebody might have a makeup channel, a channel that shows them at home with their partner. And I'm just like, oh, isn't that just a lot? Or does it make sense? It depends who you are. If you're a full-time content creator and you're pumping out that many videos that you can worry about the distribution of them on different channels to capitalize on the SEO of different, like this is, we're talking so much work. Like that is hours and hours and hours of work. So the people that have the ability to do that, I mean, it make, probably makes sense. But um, yeah, the two channels, like the vlog channel and the OG channel has been around forever. Um I remember YouTubers back in the day would would always do that. And it kind of made sense that you would go somewhere for a little bit more unfiltered. But on something on TikTok, I don't know. Like, I honestly feel like every video is a massive stab in the dark. Like, I think one video is great and it'll have 200 views and I'll think it's okay and it'll have a couple hundred thousand. Like, you've really got no idea. So on TikTok, maybe it's you're better off just chucking anything on one channel and seeing what sticks and then and then niching down. But having the numerous platforms and the and nu- numerous different accounts, again, if you've got the time, the energy, and the money, power to you. But I, I feel like those people would be few mm-hmm. and far between. Let's talk about the word authenticity because I feel that just like the word community, it had a moment. And again, just even bringing up Michaela, um, people found that she was being inauthentic when they were in the comments saying, come on, girl, you, you added some lashes at the end. She's like, no, no, that's literally how good the mascara is. And people were like, oh, okay, she's doubling down. But, I mean, does authenticity matter more on YouTube or TikTok? I think putting your face to anything, growing anything, like authenticity is essentially what people are following for. Authenticity is essentially your bread and butter. 
that I think it's universally your number one priority. But I think where it gets really tricky with beauty in particular is that beauty is product driven. Beauty is like, you know, it's got creativity and it's got all of these other incredible backgrounds. And, you know, there's the business side and there's the social side and there's the um, the environmental side now. And there's so many elements in it. But at the end of the day, it's products. We're sitting down and we're like, you know, loving physical products. And so there's, you know, it's money driven at the end of the day. And I think creators have a right to want to build a career and make money for themselves. But where it gets really tricky is then balancing that authenticity with also earning a, earning a living. Um, and it's, you know, clearly hard for people at every size and following to navigate. Um, I think their, their universally authenticity is everything, but what do you think? I think authenticity is, it's something I've definitely thought about a lot since the height of Black Lives Matter, for instance, in 2020, May, June. Um, because I know I've shared this on the podcast in the past with somebody else. I saw someone that is a fashion creator. Um, I think she was doing a bit of beauty back then. I followed her and she was crying on her stories and she wasn't a person of color, put it that way. Um, and honestly, Lily, I don't know what you think. I just knew, I was like, I didn't believe her. And I was just like disgusted that she was crying about something that actually truly meant something to me. Like every day I woke up, I will never forget that year. Obviously many of us won't forget it purely because of the pandemic, but that was just this extra stress. And I will never forget. I just felt like you're, these aren't real tears. And I was like, so why are you doing this? And I noticed that I think she'd done some PR and she had some black clients. And I was like, please don't tell me you're crying in inverted commas at 1 a.m. on your stories to be seen. It just, I didn't like it. It made me feel really uncomfortable and I just unfollowed her. I, I didn't like it. So for me, that's like the extreme of when you think someone is not being real. Like I... She'd never influenced me to buy anything. I just thought she could be an interesting person to follow. So that relationship for me was just dead. And, um, you know, I don't think she noticed she follows me and still follows me now. And, she, you know, we've never had a conversation about it. It's fine because I'm done. But comparing that to Michaela, I only followed Michaela because of the business that I'm in. I was like, okay, she's got a lot of followers. She's absolutely got her own style when it comes to makeup. It's not my style, but that doesn't mean I can't learn something from her. And that could be learning how she communicates. It might be learning how she takes on TikTok trends. You know, she's good at things like that. It's just good to be aware. So am I bothered about her seeming inauthentic about the mascara? No. Have I unfollowed her? No, because I'm not attacked. I guess there's got to be a different kind of attachment. So I mentioned the the influencer, you know, that I unfollowed around the height of Black Lives Matter. I was invested in her purely as she could be interesting. She could be interesting to have on the podcast. She had some interesting things to say at certain points and her style. Whereas Michaela, it's more I follow her because I need to follow her. I'm in the beauty beauty world. I need to see what she's up to. And obviously that's how I found out about the mascara. So 
I guess you have different investments when it comes to authenticity. There could be emotional and influential, like how they influence me. I don't know. I need to break it down. Maybe authenticity is it's not a black and white thing, basically. Mm. I think on the Black Lives Matter, political movements becoming trends, I think, is a really, really sticky and ugly one because we expect people that we follow to show up as in, a, in alignment with our values and like what we do and don't expect from them. I think people just try and be across everything. And that was so undeniably huge that people couldn't sit down, look at themselves and actually do hard work. It just, it sounds like that creator just wanted to be perceived as being in on, you know, understanding and being socially aware. And she just wanted to come across like, you know, I, um, that she, that she wasn't naive and didn't have a head in the sand when in fact she probably looked far, far stupider than if she were to have clocked off and read a book. Um, and I think political stuff in relation to authenticity and then product product reviews in relation to authenticity is just this weird mixed bag of like influencers being brands and influencers having to be vessels for social change and be vessels for what they believe in and what they stand. Like it shouldn't, in my opinion, it shouldn't be that hard. Like if you, but in saying that I am not a creator of that size. So authenticity, I feel like people are just quick to jump on things and people are quick to act like they're constantly doing good. People don't ever want to be perceived like they've got any part of them that doesn't know what's going on, isn't up with, you know, isn't well read or doesn't want to come across as dumb or doesn't want to come across as anything. So they just try and be everything all at once rather than authenticity. I feel like is more knowing who you are, knowing what you value, and then showing up for things that are in relationship to that. So if you're a sustainability creator and there is a huge something, you know, political movement that happens there, I expect that from you. I expect you to comment because that's part of your brand. That's part of who you are and how much, you know, you perceive yourself. But if you're not focused on like, even like a clothing brand, if you're not focused on racial um, injustice or anything in that realm, I would rather you do something productive than just act like, yeah, guys, we see you. We're, we're, we're do-gooders. Um, people just try and do everything because they want to be liked and well-believed and it just doesn't make any sense because <laughs> you don't know everything and that's okay and no one's asking you well, to know everything. That brings that's okay so sometimes when you don't know everything don't say anything you could still try and do good about something behind the scenes mm. try and find your way but when you put it on social it can become a problem really quickly and I don't know if you heard about the Uma Beauty issue that happened when the queen died so Uma Beauty is a yeah. black owned American brand and Sharon Shooter started it and she also started a brilliant campaign called Pull Up For Change where she would get brands like Glossier to, to really show us how many of your staff are people of colour and what are you paying them? She she made, she made did so much good work, right? So much good work. And then the Queen dies 
And I mean, I'm born and raised over here. Okay, I'm I'm not putting the Queen on my on my Instagram feed because she's um there's layers to the Queen. Okay, yes, it's sad that someone passed, but Sharon Shooter chose to put a picture of the Queen. I think it was on her coronation on the Instagram page of her brand. Okay, not her personal. I think she also put it on her personal later. She put it on her brand yeah. page. And my goodness, the comments. Because first of all, there's context. She's an African-American, but I believe she studied in the UK at some point. She probably felt some connection. I give, I give her that, right? But when your audience is an audience of African-American women or black women that know you as the woman that started Pull It For Change, and you're putting that on your page and all they, many of them think of the queen as like um, a symbol of colonialism because she is, you know, she's the queen of England, but she also profited massively mm. from colonizing many, many, many nations. So it just, and I was like, this is going to be bad. And what she did was double down she put it on her personal page as well but she cut the comments off she wouldn't allow people to comment on her personal <laughs> so people would go back to the business page like no no and I'm talking influencers with a big following were just like you messed up <laughs> and I wanted to do an episode on it but it felt too raw at the time and I definitely didn't want to feel like I was picking on her because she's done so much but it was this huge misstep and overnight she she must have lost some customers um, for sure because she wasn't engaging with them. I'm okay. Do you owe people an explanation? Perhaps not. But when you're using your brand page to support the monarchy, that doesn't even affect your country of residence, by the way, um, and much of your customers. It just, shouldn't you deal with the questions <laughs> or are you just going to? hide and hope it goes away like Michaela's doing like Michaela is not addressing the issues and she's flying <laughs> well in a, in a funny parallel so we just had Australia Day which is well known uh, a horrible day no one really no one in my circle let's say celebrates it anymore because it was it's well known to be incredibly tragic but then you still had all of these brands um, posting on their Instagram, even if it wasn't in relationship to the day, if it wasn't anti the day, if it was just their regular kind of brand content, it was this conversation of like, well, today today is a day that can't be neutral. Today is a day where you can't just go about what you're, you're an Australian-based brand. Even if you're just, you know, it was like I had a conversation with someone that was like, I put up a story of me at the beach. I wasn't celebrating, but I was at the beach because it was a public holiday. And then we had a conversation about the fact that, yes, it's a public holiday, but something about putting it online and advocating for the fact that you're doing something on that day. It's just it's just not a day of uh, where anything can be neutral. It's heightened, heightened sensitive. And it was the same thing where there were just so many brands that it was just like, guys, what are you doing? If you're not going to do any good, just shut up. Just, just don't post for a day. It's not that deep. Like, well, keep it personal. Like Sharon has every right. If she's got, if she feels she's got a connection yeah. to the Queen of England, fine. Mm. Mourn in your home. I, I'm from here. I didn't mourn. She was an old. She was. She had a good innings. Okay. I, I didn't need to mourn her. For me, 
Princess Diana, yeah, that's a life that's taken very early on. Like, that's different. But fair play, if it affects you, just, you know, mourn at home and don't potentially ruin your multi-million dollar brand. But anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. But it's a weird link back to authenticity. Sorry, I was going to say it's a weird link back to authenticity where it's like, well, then maybe they could argue that that was them being authentic, but it was like, oh, I don't just read the room. I feel like no one, everyone's got their head in the sand. Creators and brands, even if they are trying to show up authentically, it looks funny. It's hard, isn't it? Because no, that's, I know I went off on a tangent, but to me, that was like, it was that another way of some questioning is authenticity emotional or is it influential or what are the different facets of it? Because for me, authenticity often, oh, my light's just gone. For me, authenticity often links to being human. Like, okay, you don't get my experience as a mixed race woman Mm. in England, but you are, you seem like a human being we can have a conversation on certain levels. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's the minute that that's broken. I'm like, oh, they don't, they don't see me. They're not willing to see me. Maybe that's what it's, maybe authenticity is a two-way thing because maybe her posting the queen could have had a different, if they were a much bigger brand in the UK, maybe there would have been an onslaught of positive comments that would have changed the view. I don't know. It's like, I feel like authenticity is literally like calibrated on several different levels. And if you don't get the levels right, like have you ever stopped following somebody because you suddenly felt like, oh, no, I, I don't. They're not being real here. Yes. All the time. I think it's again like what we were saying before about not expecting <laughs> people or brands to to be everything all at once like maybe what happened with Uma Beauty what wouldn't have made what made what made no sense there is what you've literally just pointed out in the fact that they're an american based company supporting the queen that's not an alignment whether that it is authentic to them or it isn't it doesn't make any sense the same way that i if you've got no part of you is advocating for to, for the rights of people of color then why are you all of a sudden preaching to me about and crying on camera about the racial injustice of the BLM movement? It's not an alignment. It doesn't make sense. It's inauthentic. I think that's where it comes back to is that you don't, I'm not asking you to be a green thumb. I'm not asking you to spend your life reading about everything ever and just be this perfect God of a creator. It's just whatever you stand for, stick with that. You know, and I think that's where we come back to with the Michaela stuff is that she built a brand off of being honest, having these honest reviews. She blew up numerous times because she would call out bad products that she was sent. She wasn't ashamed to be like, look, it's not for me. It might be for someone else. But that was what made her authentic. So when it came to the Lash Saga, it was she wasn't being authentic because that didn't align with her brand and her brand is honest makeup reviews. So that's where that didn't relate. So I guess what that means is it's okay for a brand to talk about political issues if it's been something that they've talked about before, if that's part of their ethos. But when it's like out of the blue, it's like, whoa, 
who who's handling the social media today? You kind of think who's doing the social today? There is a really great business of fashion um, case study and video about um, Gen Z aligning their purchasing behaviors with brands and what that actually looks like. And what they pointed out and what I've regurgitated here in a far less eloquent way is, again, that expectation of if you're a sustainable brand, Wigs, and you want to capitalize off of that movement and you want to capitalize off of being a greener alternative and you want us to spend money with you because that's what you supposedly stand for, you need to back that. That is your thing and you need to represent that the same way that you have many young fashion designers that are doing incredible things in other so- other social spaces, but we don't then expect them to be super green and super sustainable. It's, I think that's what authenticity looks like. I want you to kind of give me your take on what is going to be the landscape of beauty when we take into account YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Like, give me their positions in the world of beauty. Because I think I saw you talk about how Instagram is more like a magazine and TikTok is our new version of TV, but you'll say it a lot better than me. So just take us through a landscape of beauty when it comes to TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube? Wow, what a loaded question. I think you can look at it, that question, from so many different perspectives. Like, you can look at it from a brand, from influencers, um, to even, like, UGC creators now, and I think they all, it's this big oiled machine. I think, at the end of the day, beauty is product-driven, and that's why it's so powerful and it has so much capital power because there's so much money in it. But at the end of the day, people love it because it's so inclusive um, and the barrier to entry is a couple of dollars. And so I do think it's about fueling that sense of community. Um, and I think people love being in on the conversation. And that's why things like Mascara Gate blow up uh, because people love being a part of it and they love seeing someone recommend a product and then being able to join in and then, you know, just the back and forth. And again, that community seems to be the hype word here. Um, in terms of the different platforms, I think it's, again, what we were talking about, them all working together. Like I think TikTok will only continue to get bigger, um, particularly in the way of discovery and how we love finding new people and we love uh, you know, it's like, it's like the every man's platform. It's the fact that you can be a no one and have a video go absolutely crazy. Um, and that will probably change a hundred times more in this year alone. Um, Instagram, honestly, she's dead to me. She's the latest Facebook. I, <laughs> I literally use it as a search engine at this point. She said it. Yeah, she said. Um, pretty imagery, perhaps. Maybe there'll still be, I think it's becoming like quite big for like news, like breaking news and things. Um, we're seeing a lot of like, you know, with Paco Rabanne passing today, like that happened immediately on Instagram and it's a lot of breaking news potentially. We'll probably just see it to shift into what Facebook was before it completely fell off. And then YouTube, I think what we've discussed today was like, it's probably just going to have a total resurgence as resurgence as people keep pushing for video because no one wants to sit down and read a book (laughs) or read an article. So we'll probably just see long form video change. And if they can keep up with it, then YouTube, YouTube has been the king of long form content for God decades at this point. So they're really in the driving seat and gosh, if they can capitalize on shorts, maybe we'll have this conversation again at the end of the year and TikTok will be YouTube. Like who, who really knows? But 
Um, video, 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 video. My gosh. I think people will just have to be really intentional about creating um, audiences that are engaging with them. And if they can, again, like we said, use TikTok and YouTube back to back each other, and maybe that's the perfect cocktail. But, yeah, community. Community. Maybe, yeah, maybe that word's going to come back. I feel that it got abused by brands for a, a couple of years, that word. Um mm-hmm. But it's interesting because you said maybe TikTok will become YouTube. Well, obviously we know we can record for 10 minutes now. I haven't done a 10 minute one yet, but because um, obviously it, it does mean more work. But yeah, I think even, you know, we talk about people staying in their lanes, but I think it's the platforms that could stay in their lanes because that way they can all survive in different ways. I hear that Instagram is trying to bring back the photograph. Um and a lot of people are posting more photographs and they're just saying, please show this some love. Let's show Instagram what we want. Um, TikTok obviously is very much, even though perhaps you and I, we plan our TikToks quite a lot. There's still an element of people that are able to just jump on there, do something quick and blow up. And then obviously YouTube is that when you just want, I tend to think of YouTube as kind of more company. Like, let me put YouTube on and see what so-and-so is making or Mm -hmm. doing. So I think if they manage to define, refine and stick to their lanes, they could all work. I think YouTube has, and we're seeing it in TikTok as well though, but YouTube has so much power to be so educational. So when we come back to what we were talking about before about experts, like people go onto YouTube to learn. Like I spend most of my time studying my maths classes through people and tutors on YouTube. So if that can extend to things like beauty and people having that, again, that critical, um, being really critical and wanting more information, then maybe content types like ours would do really well on the platform because people are coming to know more. They want to be more in-depth. And, again, it's more traditional journalism stuff but in a more interactive and engaging format of long-form video that maybe we'll see a, a change in landscape there as well because I think – as much as it, YouTube and long-form video more generally are comforting in the way a TV show is comforting, they can be really, really informative. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely higher brow, which is what I struggle with. You, TikTok will just forever be so good because it's so snappy, get to the point, rough cuts, overlaying video. Rather than YouTube, there's still an element of, like, quality about it, which is, again, potentially why those audiences are more loyal because they're – receiving a what they perceive to be a higher quality but in saying that I, I think they all have their, their their power and their use and yeah so you're going to join youtube then Lily? that's a final question eventually it's like it's definitely i said once i have tiktok under wraps i said youtube actually youtube or linkedin would be number two but Again, it's just the amount of work. I can see what I want it to look like. I know exactly the types of topics, how I would produce them, how I would want to edit them, like, you know, whip out some of my um, After Effects beginner ability and, like, really create, like, a Vox-style type of video but about a beauty topic. But, um, again, man, it's just the workload. (laughs) I think it would be great and I would love to. But when I have the time, you will be the first to know. Cool. (laughs) Well, that is it, Lily. 
Thank you so much for chatting with me today. I feel like we could have chatted longer, but for anyone that's listening, we've had kind of glitches all the way through this. So hopefully they don't come through in the editing stage, but um, we'll have to do this again anyway today because the beauty world is constantly evolving. So you and I could chat forever. Honestly, I'm always like, what is, what is she up to? I love our chats. Um, no, completely. We could, we could chat forever. And like you said, there's always things happening. That's why we'll never run out of video ideas and you'll never run out of podcasts. As always, I'm so grateful for you hanging out with me today and checking in with the show. And I would love to know more from you on the subject of beauty YouTube or beauty in general when it comes to social media. Are you someone that's massively into beauty YouTube? Are you thinking of joining YouTube yourself? Feel free to get in touch anytime over in the DMs on Twitter or Instagram at Beauty Me Podcast and email me beautymepodcast at gmail.com if you prefer. Don't forget, you'll also find some video clips of my chat with Lily on my Instagram or you can find it on TikTok at Sharice Kenyon. Finally, did you know you can now listen to Beauty Me on Amazon Music? Wherever you listen, I would really love if you could hit that subscribe or follow or like button. It takes two seconds for you, but honestly, it makes a big deal for me. It really helps the podcast just be seen a bit more each day. Feel free to leave a five-star review over on Spotify or write a detailed review on this episode or the show in general over on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget, I've also got a newsletter, which you can subscribe to for free at beautymenotes.substat.com, where I'll often share imagery from each episode. See you next time.